Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is produced in association with Jazz Times. Filmmaker Martin Shore started his professional creative life as a touring musician and brings that experience and sensibility to his diverse record and movie projects. His latest film, Take Me to the River, New Orleans, follows his directorial debut with his film Take Me to the River, Memphis. Both films focus on Shore's desire to promote tolerance and respect for all people and cultures by showing how cross-cultural collaboration in music has positively impacted our society. The soundtrack for Take Me to the River, New Orleans is available now, and the film starts streaming on all platforms this month. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I asked Martin Shore why New Orleans was an important focus for him in making this film. When we uh, set out to um, to make Memphis, the first Take Me to the River film, um, it, it, it was really, it was a no-brainer. It was obvious um, the next stop was New Orleans. And to me, those are the two um, big American music stories of which influence and inspire the world's popular music around the world. Uh, you know, with Memphis, it was a very linear path. You know, uh, the Mississippi Delta songs from the field moves into the church, goes, uh, somebody sells their soul, you know, on the crossroads. And the next thing you know, people are talking about other things. And, and singing about other things and expressing themselves and then going into, uh, as we all know, you know, rock and roll, country, rockabilly, R&B, funk, hip hop. It's a pretty, pretty linear story. And it's an American story. New Orleans is a world story. It's the first um, real example or first example of world music. And we are so lucky as Americans to have it in our country. Um, it's a sparkling, unique cultural jewel that really the story really needed to be told. And um, as it was with Memphis, I felt like the story really hadn't been told from a point of view of how important it is to um, pay attention, support, recognize um, and personally enjoy this cultural jewel we've given the world. Dynamic duo is Gerald and Snoop. It's Kobe Shaq 2002 going throw me the oop. He told me pull up to the stew, I'll be there in the coop. Man, it's a bowl of gumbo, we just preparing the soup. Yeah, I bridge the gap, bro, this is the West. It's only right the greatness happen when bosses connect. I do it all for respect, you do it all for the check. And when I need something from Unc, I call him direct. Yeah, so come together. 
over me. You reach locally, I'm focused on globally. John Lennon lens to see the world how it's supposed to be. Speak to the youth, but got the OG coaching me. Uh, I'm in Dubai slapping this in a phantom. I know it might seem like it is, but look, this isn't random. When I was 12, we used to hotbox and listen to Calvin. And every single walk of life, bro, I keep it a thousand. Now's the time for all good yeah. men to get together with one another. Iron out the problems and iron out the cause and try to live as brothers. Try to find peace within without stepping on one another. And do respect the women of the world. Remember, we all had mothers. To me, it's surprising that more people don't know that New Orleans is a center for all these different kinds of music. I think still people think New Orleans, they think jazz. Mm -hmm. They don't realize, even the most obvious to us who know this, the Caribbean influence, oh, yeah. that it's really so far south and all of that came in. But also in your film, having somebody like Snoop Dogg, which I don't think a lot of people go New Orleans and then they think of Snoop. It isn't that kind of inclusion which you put together so beautifully. I love that. And and showing how all these musicians work together too yes. was really fascinating to me. Talk about that. Yes. Well, New Orleans, as you mentioned, um, you know, very accurately has a very intact music community. It's, it's different after Katrina, but it's still very intact, um, thankfully. And this music community has been working together um, from different influences and different inspirations um, since before the Haitian slave revolt. And it goes all the way back to a place called Congo Square. And Congo Square was this example of inclusion. Um, the French, you know, didn't believe that the slaves should work on Sunday or anybody should work on Sunday. And they encouraged their, um, their culture, their music, their, uh, their heritage to, um, to be example as exemplified or, or to be, um, expressed in Congo square and Congo square was sort of the, this place where, African-Americans, slaves, could bring a little bit of themselves to a safe place in an otherwise, you know, pretty horrible existence and bring something from their home and express it. And it was that, you know, it was, it was that encouragement and that expression, West African rhythms that then started melding in with uh, traditional European military military marching beats, uh, Haitian syncopation, Afro-Cuban habanara, things from all over the world, even indigenous, you know, Indian influences. Um, and again, what most people don't recognize is that New Orleans was Ellis Island before Ellis Island. <laughs> <laughs> if you came to this country, you came through New Orleans and beginning with the slave trade and it being on the on the um, on the trade route. Right. 
Um, most all the trade ships kind of posted up in Cuba, and that that's what ended up becoming this very uh, rich birthplace of Afro-Cuban music and all these influences was people staging to get on to to ships due to the uh, to the current. Because if you throw a piece of paper in Cuba, it goes right to Spain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, uh. So, so I know that's a deeper answer, but you know the reality is is New Orleans has always been this mixture of influences and inspirations that seamlessly come together in this musical gumbo that um, continues to this day to, um, you know, be able to cross genre and, and cross generations and cross gender and cross ethnicity, which is what Take Me to the River stands for. Heaven sent down to all mankind. Peace, Melina. All the time. If it's not action too much, please send me someone to love. Dr. John from the album and soundtrack for the feature documentary, Take Me to the River, New Orleans. My guest is the director of that film, Martin Shore. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Take Me to the River, New Orleans captures how the many musical influences of New Orleans combine, inspire, and invigorate the sound of New Orleans. You talk about how everything combines, but I'm imagining another place in the world where you might take a hip-hop artist and a jazz musician and someone else of another style and just throw them in a room together and it wouldn't necessarily work. And you and I know, as musicians ourselves, that the personalities might not work, all of that. What is interesting to me on a number of levels about the culture of New Orleans and Louisiana in general, because I remember when I first went there, this inclusion and acceptance and how that is a cultural thing. And I brought this up a lot with friends of mine that the first time I went to a dance club in Lafayette, 
that a 10-year-old a asked me to dance, and it was to Cajun music. And I was thinking, where in the world would this happen to me, that a 10-year-old would come up with confidence and ask me, <laughs> and a, you know, his, an adult, to dance? And I said, well, you know, I don't really know how to dance this style. And he said, that's okay, I'll teach you. <laughs> I thought, man, right on. This was so beautiful wow. because it was all families. And I have lots of friends in Louisiana. And I know that this, this inclusion of, of the music, but also people and taking your family, which is very important to me as a jazz musician, because people are saying to me all the time, how are we going to get younger people involved in jazz? And I want younger audience. It's not just the because the musicians keep being created, mm -hmm. but it's this cultural inclusion. It's that Jazz Fest is a family event. It's not just for adults, that all of their festivals, all of that. And something I, I appreciated because this is so important to me personally is how you captured that with the filming of these recording sessions. I'm saying this as a professional musician. I think it's very hard to make a film about music because it can be very boring mm -hmm. to watch people play. Yes. And you had this wonderful juxtaposition of archival film with contemporary film, but also showing how these sessions are created with the different musicians, how they're writing on the spot, how they're different generations. It was so beautifully rendered. Talk about that, because it was really wonderful and unusual. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, as a professional musician, um, how much respect we immediately have for each other and for those who have come before us. So we're lucky as musicians to have sort of that disposition naturally of this um, respect for each other and the idea of we are transparent. We have to be transparent. Otherwise, we can't <laughs> play together, right? So watching our master musicians go through their artistic process, um, our legacy, you know, musicians is, is so important for us and for future generations. And this idea of my filmmaking is about making an evergreen so that if, if you saw this 10 years from now, it would feel as fresh to you as it does today. And if you watch it the second time, the third time, and if you want to check in a year from now and like, Hey, I, I want to, I want to see the Neville brothers again. Let me, let me go check it out. Right. Um, or I, I, I want to hear Dr. John talk about his influences one more time, you know? So this, this idea of creating living, living history, you know, so I call it the living documentary. There's others who do it. I'm not the only person, but it is definitely um, a sub genre, if you will. And I don't know of a lot of examples of, where we're actually creating brand new art mm, mm. as we're telling the historical story and paying uh, homage and respect and, um, you know, recognizing our masters and mm. allowing others to see this process and making you feel the same way I feel 
or I felt when I was in the room. And you mm. know, from you know all of your amazing success and being in in the studio, you know, it's 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 not necessarily this really um, glossy kind of you know um, uh, slick produced kind of um feel right it it every session sort of has its cadence it all uh you know when when the conditions are right it it's it's magical and and we find out a lot about each other and and ourselves and and our process when when we go through it but it's uh it's something that when you get people to collaborate that aren't used to collaborating with each other, but they're open to it, then the magic really comes out. And this mentoring process, which is a two way street becomes very potent, you know, and mm. you feel that. So, you know, I, 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 there's so many examples of, um, you know, m master musicians deferring to the younger the younger guys like hey man mm. i want to know how you do it you know yeah and, yeah and you know meanwhile the, the the younger musician or you know more of the uh up and coming or current artists they're they're so proud to just even be addressed that way that it becomes this really rich um invite you know environment that that produces these these amazing sessions the green room is smoking and the fire is burning down throw the baby out the window let the joint burn down all because it's caught over Thomas with the Neville Brothers on Carnival Time from the soundtrack and CD of the documentary Take Me to the River, New Orleans. I'm talking with the director of that film, Martin Shore. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I told you before we started that I was thinking I was going to be an actress originally, and then I started getting jazz gigs and I was doing that. And while I still love being on stage and doing the kind of acting thing, what I loved about music is my saying is always is no amount of good lighting makes you sound good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
That's a good one. I'm going to have to borrow that one, Judy. Oh, oh, man. And I loved it because I would go into these auditions and somebody would know somebody or it would be whatever or that, you know, it'd be all this nepotism with the acting and they'd get the part. And then they'd think, well, they look good or whatever. But boy, when you played, there was no faking it. You either play or you don't. Mm -hmm. And I especially experienced it as a young, blonde woman Yes. on the scene when I came on because no one took me seriously. Then I would play and then they'd go, hey. And then suddenly it, it didn't matter at all what I looked like. And that really meant something to me that that prejudice went away because it was all about the music. And that's that respect you're talking about. And I think the lineage, which is so important in New Orleans, that sometimes I have to admit, I don't feel as much in certain quarters that I feel there, that I wish were more there. I certainly did when I was in my 20s. And I met older musicians. That was there completely. They were so thrilled to meet young musicians who took the music seriously, but didn't take themselves too seriously, but they were really working hard. But I feel that another thing that you captured so beautifully is how this is always on the mind of people in Louisiana, I'll say in general too, because you, you touch on the other styles of music and the Cajun music and things like that too, but mainly New Orleans in this film that how that's always on their mind. Let's bring up the younger people, get them playing music early, whether they're going to be professionals or not. And it's just a beautiful cultural focus, I think. Yeah, agreed. You know, the one thing that I think um, the New Orleans music community, uh, what makes it different is it's not a competitive um, mm. environment, which as you know, most music communities have at least uh, a discernible element of that to, you know, to even, you know, even um, more than that. You don't feel that in New Orleans at all. It's more of a, of a collaborative thing and they cheer for each other. You know, they do, they cheer for each other. That's not to say that they, they're not looking out for their own careers. They are. And, you know, th that's not to say that they're not, proud of themselves, you know, but you can go to many music communities and you feel um, as if you're on an island by yourself trying to slug it out against, uh, you know, the world. The biggest difference between the two communities, Memphis and New Orleans, and my good friend and colleague, to, to some degree, uh, Jerry Harrison said it best. He said, you know, New Orleans had a fractured community that needed to be sort of put back together. It's, it was always there. It just, you know, really kind of fell apart. Due, really doing doing large, large part to the Martin Luther King assassination. New Orleans never really had that, even through Katrina, even through musicians being displaced, you know, all around the country, that it never really fell apart, you know. So when these musicians would tour, they would go see some of these people who were in Detroit or Houston or wherever they were, and it, it, it helped spread the music. And then people, thankfully, slowly and very arduously returned 
And the music community is different today, but it's still very much intact and, and very much a, um, you know, the, the end result is this, is, is that same spirit still exists. It's just a little different. Mm-mm. How did you first get into jazz? When did you hear your first jazz? Because you sent me some influences on you that I loved. Of course, Count Basie, close to my heart. But how, what, do you remember the first time you heard jazz? And you oh, worked? yeah. I grew up um, with my mom and dad. Just, you know, they were they were big bandaholics, you know. And, um, you know, every Sunday it was just blasting. Basie and his orchestra on Kansas City Stride, a favorite of my guest, filmmaker Martin Shore. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I was the youngest. My mom was uh, a fine artist who actually was a fashion illustrator Ah. Uh, for Bonwit and Teller for many years. And, um, and, but she was, you know, into all the arts uh, and I was like her little buddy. So she would drag me around and, you know, I got to see incredible musicians. I got to see Benny Goodman. I got to oh. see Louis Armstrong. I got to see um, Miles Davis. I got to see Mikhail Baryshnikov. I got to oh. see Clark, you know? And so these were very, very big influences on me um, combined with the fact that when I was in public school in Philadelphia, uh, they still had music in schools and we would, I would get pulled out of English class for, for a 20 minute drum lesson. And my, my drum teacher turned me on the stacks, you know, and said, Oh yeah, you got to listen to Al Jackson Jr. Man. Like, (laughs) yeah. And you got, you know, you got to listen to this. You got to listen to that. I was very lucky. I had, and I guess my ears were open too. You know, mm, um, mm. It, it was something I knew I wanted to do. I think it was in me, like like I'm sure it was with you. You you, you had something inside of you that you you were 
searching for. And once you found it, you know, you knew you had, you had, you know, you had, you know, you had gotten it. So, yeah, it was, it was really great that my folks were, were so into, you know, whether it be Dave Brubeck, I swear, I still can put on take five and, you know, just like, oh man, like if somebody's saying, Hey, what should we play? You know, like at a dinner party or something, put on Dave Brubeck. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. 2022 marked our 22nd year on air, and I have a new book celebrating this anniversary called Great Inspirations, 22 Years of Jazz Inspired on NPR, which is a collection of some of my favorite conversations from the show, including early guests like Frank Gehry and E.L. Doctorow, and more recent conversations with Seth MacFarlane and Glenn Close. Go to judycarmichael.com to find out how you can receive an autographed copy or send one to a favorite friend. Although we broadcast on NPR stations, we're an independent production not funded by NPR. We're funded primarily by your donations. So please visit jazzinspired.com 
to chip in. No gift is too small. And please tell your friends about Jazz Inspired and help us spread the word. Our show is made possible in part with generous support from Jazz Times Magazine, providing entertaining and provocative coverage of the jazz scene since 1970. On the web at jazztimes.com. For a schedule of upcoming programs, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can listen to Jazz Inspired on all the usual podcast platforms and email us at info at jazzinspired.com or visit us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Stride Queen. I'm talking with musician-producer-filmmaker Martin Shore about his early musical influences. I mean, there's so many great ones, you know, Art Blakey and, um, you know, who, who, who bridged the gap, you know, in between. Um, and, you know, of course, Duke Ellington and, and the, the big bands that then kind of, you know, we went into the bebop era and then, you know, into the experimental lands of, of jazz, which was really interesting and sort of a, uh, you know, kind of crossed into the lines of, of, of the rock world, you know, um, with the weather reports and, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, you know, I, I feel like all of that influenced me greatly um, and keeping my ears open. And that's what I tell my students. I say, you know, jazz didn't start with bebop. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it didn't. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Oh my on. gosh! Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh! This is what I'll tell you. I love it. I did a class uh, years ago, and for elementary school, and they had uh, an upright piano, which they often have in these schools. And so I said, "Well, let's take the front off, so they can actually see the hammers hit the uh, strings, which would be great." Uh, because it gives me another element to hook the kids in. And so I played and I talked about it and I said, you know, this was the, the way everybody played jazz in the early years. So all jazz grew out of this stride style and all that. And they were looking at the hammers and all this. And this one little boy put his hand up and he goes, he said, so where does the piano plug in? And I said, well, it doesn't plug in. This is <laughs> this is the hammers are hitting the strings. And he said, wow, you're making all that music just with two hands. And it was so great because he could see it. Yeah. And they could actually absorb that. And I was even telling the teacher, because the teacher wanted me to play a keyboard. I said, no, don't you get that if they see this and they hear it and they get the difference of it, that that it will sink in, you know, just what you're talking about yeah. and keeping your ears open because, um, well, you're just saying that it doesn't start with bebop. I mean, yeah. you know, it's like you listen you listen to early Charlie Parker and you hear Lester Young. That's yeah. what's so interesting. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You know, to actually hear those things. It's true. You know, and uh, um, to take it one step further, some of the things that, that I teach in – professional development days for teachers and and in classes to break down some of the hip-hop songs that are using you know samples and using loops and you know forcing people to go back to okay this is where this came from and this is how this was able to actually catch your ear right 
because if he, if he was just spitting, as they say, or if he was just rapping, you know, um, it wouldn't be uh, nearly as effective, right? So this all this music, and that's the message to, to your great point, is that it comes from somewhere. And that's the, the idea of Take Me to the River. It's like, where, where does your music come from? Why should you be proud as an American that we gave the world this inspiration and influence that gave the world popular music like we take a lot of shots as americans you know economically politically socially but when it comes to music we got that Davis, a favorite of my guest, musician, and filmmaker, Martin Shore. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Martin's new film, Take Me to the River, New Orleans, celebrates the many musical and cultural influences in that city and how they work together to promote tolerance and respect for all, and that jazz especially absorbs these many influences. This music is an epitome of the best of the American experience because it is a combination of all of these things working together yeah. that that celebrates the individual, individual expression, individual sound, but within the context of a group and being able to work together. And if that isn't the most beautiful message yeah. imaginable that you can shine yourself within a context of working in harmony with everyone else. And that's what your film makes so apparent, is that you have all of these people with very individual sounds. I mean, I really dug it how, you know, you'd go from these disparate voices, as it were, instrumental and and vocal, and how they work together and how excited they were about making the whole being more than the sum of the indi- individual parts. I mean, it was really, if I'm, I think I said that wrong, but you know what I mean. Yeah, that yeah, it was, totally, totally. Yeah, that it totally came together. It's a beautiful aspect of that. Yeah, uh, to, and to your point, you know, I do, um, I do these classes for um, 
corporate America, UBS and, um, you know, Procter & Gamble and these big companies. And that's what they want. Exactly what you were, were talking about is how do we get that, what you show in your films and what you, Judy, were just really um, very eloquently speaking about is how do we get everyone in the workplace to respect and listen to each other and work together and, and actually hear each other. Um, and, you know, I think it, it's in all facets of, of, you know, modern day society. It's a challenge that, that is there um, to be, you know, to be addressed in some, some fields harder than others, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, I think so. I think so. Obviously, teaching and spreading the good word is very important to you, and I love that. And that was an aspect that really came across in the film as well, because while it is just massively entertaining, it's also educational and puts out this great message that we're talking about. And there's a wonderful organization that I happen to know about in New Orleans. They have a number of these that are reaching out to underprivileged kids that believe what you and I do about music being able to transform lives and get them involved in all of that. And one of the groups that you had was playing with them. So talk about that. I love that part of the film. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up because, you know, we have, as you know, award-winning films, records, a live show, but education is what we lead with. And that's why we exist. Berkeley College of Music is and has been our um, education partner for the better part of 10 years. Um, and I'm now teaching at Berkeley. I was at the new school. Um, we have common core curriculum in middle schools and public schools across the country, 700 just in New York city alone that utilizes, um, the curriculum that was commissioned by Berkeley. Um, and, Berkeley College of Music has Berkeley City Music, which is their community outreach. And they have 46, maybe 47 affiliates across the country that um, qualify to be a Berkeley City Music affiliate. And they are, to your point, magnet programs or uh, after school programs. Um, Roots of Music is a Berkeley City Music affiliate, um, as is Stax Music Academy, who you you see in um, first film um, and Tipitina interns were until unfortunately um, some unfortunate incidences um, and they're, they're no longer, but Donald Harrison um, ran that program, the Tipitina interns for years. And that produced, you know, trombone shorty, John Batiste, uh, his nephew, Christian Scott, the list is so, so, so long. Um, and in terms of, of uh, working, we always try and weave in um, the educational aspect to, you know, in the films. Um, and what's important to note is uh, we do try and have a runway for students. Um, so we do take some of them out on tour with us uh, to play and be paid like a professional and to learn from the you know, the, the, um, the master musicians and the veterans, you know, um, and the, you know, the, the beauty of combining all this 
gives you this high energy where at, where you know you have young younger musicians who are just so excited to be in the presence of you know all these musicians and the, the session that you speak of was the Lost Bayou Ramblers which won a Grammy a couple years ago and they are um, a band out of Lafayette um, and Walter Wolfman Washington who is is not from that part of Louisiana um, and Ani DeFranco who is kind of a um, uh, newer New Orleanian, um, but nonetheless a full-bred New Orleanian. Oh, yeah, she's all in now. Buffalo oh, yeah. to New Orleans. <laughs> totally, totally. Um, so it was an interesting mix, uh, that particular session, but it worked. And um, it was really fun to play some Arcadian Cajun music together with um, folks that weren't necessarily used to playing that. And um, it was, I think it was fun for the students and fun for Walter, like, you know, and fun for everyone. And the beauty is, is that, you know, Arcadian music, you don't have to understand what they're saying. Um, it's, it's the cadence and it's the way the music moves and the articulation that really matters with that music. Um, and it's just kind of fun. And sometimes it makes me think of what it's like for maybe Japanese audiences to hear our music. In a coffee shop in a city, which is every coffee shop in every city, on a day which is every day. Picked up a magazine, which is every magazine, and read a story, and then I forgot it right away. And they say goldfish have no memories. I think their lives are much like mine. And the little plastic castle is a surprise every time. And it's hard to say if they're happy But they don't seem much to mind
Another part of your film that I appreciated was your whole section, I guess I'd say, or what you when you were talking about the Mardi Gras Indians. And I think that that aspect of New Orleans is lost on a lot of people. And I knew a bit of it. I knew a bit of the history of it. But again, it's rendered so beautifully and that you you understand it within the history and the culture and what it means to these people and talk about that. That was just a lovely part of the film. Yeah, thank you. It's, it, it's necessary because it's such a big part of the New Orleans culture is the Mardi Gras Indians. And, um, you know, the Mardi Gras Indians are not just about their amazing suits and their, uh, their amazing tribes. You know, the chief really runs the tribe kind of in a, in a way that um, you would have run it hundreds of years ago. They're, they're a, you know, psychologist, they're a, they're a financier, <laughs> you know, they're, a, they're a dad, they're a big brother, you know, they're, they're everything to their tribe. And, um, you know, they also say, well, you can't, you know, you can't mask unless you, know, you do well in school. And, you know, if I don't see your report card, you know, they're, they're, it's, it's a society. It's not, it's, it's not just the pageantry is sort of um, show, showing themselves to the world, right? But what happens throughout the year is, is not only this dedication to making these amazing suits, but um, the community, the tribal community, and how they also interface you know, with each other and the respect that they, that the chiefs give each other. But I will say this is that we've been um, just recently going around doing Grammy chapter screenings. And I brought um, big chief Bo Dallas Jr. And big queen Rita Dallas of the, of the legendary uh, Bo Dallas um, family uh, of the wild magnolias. And they brought their suits with them. And, um, you know, people were able to ask questions of them. And it's fascinating because everyone hangs on their words, you know, and these are, these are, uh, you know, our contemporaries, people who are in the know musically and culturally, and they don't know about really what the Indians stand for. And the music that the Indians um, are now, uh, putting out is is really great and the wild magnolias were the first to put music on uh, you know on record um and that was quint davis who got that together um and you know the the music really itself has taken off so now the indians get to travel the world making you know music and it's not just uh traditional um mardi gras indian you know music and now you know there 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 is a, a section of of the tribal culture that refers to themselves a little differently um than than you know mardi gras indians but um the fact is it's it's a unbelievably rich culture and people don't understand that they take thousands of hours every year to make a new suit they can't come out in the same suit and the you know the the, uh, the uptown Indians, you know, 
are different than the downtown Indians in terms of just their suits. You know, uh, the uptown, they, they don't break their suits down. The, the downtown Indians, they do. And, you know, just even breaking down a suit must take a long time. But they're constantly selling. Any, any Indian that I've been on tour with or, or, uh, or know, they, they have a patch with them and they're selling. You know, they're sewing and it's the amount of dedication to um, to see something through every year and the cost too. And then you have these little kids that are doing it. It's it's a fabulous, fantastic piece of the culture that should, uh, to your point, get out of the box. And it illustrates that you can't just talk about it, that their participation makes these young people a part of it mm-hmm. because you can't know what these suits are fully in the same way that you can if you're actually working on them, putting the thousands of hours into it, like you say, because they're so intricate. But even looking at them, you can't absorb what that is. But if they have the younger people working on them, I think it's really beautiful. Oh, yeah. They they, they make their own suits and they come out dressed with, with, with everybody else. It's a big, it's very big in family. They come out of the same place every year on Mardi Gras day, they emerge from their house and they, and they pick a, pick a different parade route. And to me, that's really Mardi Gras, you know, um, fat Tuesday is kind of crazy on bourbon street. Like that's a whole nother thing, but, um, you know, Mardi Gras day is really the Indians day really. If you know, in those of us in, in the know, um, and, you know, it's uh, like I say, it's a it's a very special piece of of New Orleans culture and a very large part of it. And thankfully, you know, after Katrina, we didn't know if the Indians would even come back or be able to afford to come back. Yeah. Um, you know, many of them were many, many of them were displaced um, and a lot of them lost um, their suits Um you know, they, they didn't know it was going to be as serious as, as, as it was. And um, it's very, very gratifying to say that there's more Indian tribes now than ever and more younger people involved than ever. So that's the good news.
this has been a delight. I feel we really worked at getting together as you were running around the world and I was <laughs> <laughs> doing Thank the same you. thing. Thank you for bearing with me. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm thrilled. I love the film and it will be available on all streaming platforms very soon. And the record is available now. And everyone should see this film and get the record because the music is a wonderful variety of things as we've talked about in the film. Boy, if ever people needed to be cheered up, which they do right now and always, this is the film because it is just a joy and you just feel it throughout. So thank you for that. Well, thank you for having me. Um, I'm a big fan of yours, musically and show-wise, for sure. <laughs> and um, please, you know, keep doing it because we need you out there. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. And you know, we have to, we'll all have to get together sometimes. So, you know. I know, we'll we do. All right, we will. Absolutely, that's a promise. Thank you, Judy. You've been listening to my conversation with Martin Shore. I hope you'll join me here next time when I talk with another creative person about how jazz inspires their life and work. I'm Judy Carmichael, the host and producer of Jazz Inspired. My production engineer is Curtis Heidolf. You can download podcasts of Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired from all the usual podcast platforms or listen at jazzinspired.com. Although we broadcast on NPR stations, we're an independent production not funded by NPR. We're funded primarily by your donations. So please visit jazzinspired.com to chip in. No gift is too small. And please write a review on Apple Podcasts, which is the best way for us to spread the word. Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is sponsored in part with generous support from our listeners and Paige at 63 Main in Sag Harbor, New York, serving organic microgreens and vegetables grown on their own energy-efficient indoor and outdoor aquaponic farms. Better taste, happier planet. Visit Paige at 63Main at opentable.com. Our opening music was airmail special, and the mid-break music is a smooth one, from my CD, High on Fats and Other Stuff. The closing music is Old Fashioned Love, from my CD trio. I'm on piano with my Cashem on sax and Chris Laurie on guitar. For more information, visit jazzinspired.com or judycarmichael.com. Dot com.